good people. You are listening to Feel Free to Deviate, the podcast about people, their careers, and their relationships with success. My name is Jim Turbert, and I'm the host. While this isn't a Thanksgiving episode, the release date is technically American Thanksgiving, so whether you acknowledge this holiday or not, I wish you a happy day. Gobble, gobble. The guest on episode 38 of Feel Free to Deviate is techno artist, producer, musician, and DJ extraordinaire, Joris Vorn. He made a name for himself in the early 2000s, and he's been going strong since. His job and lifestyle have always been interesting to me, partially because I once harbored a desire to be an indie rock star. Of course, I didn't have the talent, drive, focus, or diligence to make that happen. But clearly yours does. His story illustrates the difference between childish dreams and hobbies and an actual career in music. It's a job, and he puts in the work. We talk about his roots and foundations and move through his education and the blossoming of his career. I'm not sure that the key to DJ superstardom is revealed, but it's a good place to start if that's something you're interested in becoming or learning about, or maybe you're just a fan. I'd like to take a moment to welcome any and all techno enthusiasts who may be listening for the first time. I know you're here for yours and not for me, but maybe you'll decide to stick around for a while and download some other episodes. It would be great if you could subscribe and possibly interact with my social media as well. My handle is at feel free to deviate on Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, etc. It's always nice to see new faces around here, and I'm told that engagement is important. I think this episode speaks for itself, and it's kind of long, so I'll stop talking now. Settle into whatever you're doing, maybe get a beverage. This is my conversation with Yoris Vaughn. Bum, 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 bum. Why don't you start by introducing yourself? My name is Joris Voren, as we say in Dutch, with a yay instead of a J. With a yay, yay, yay. <laughs> my name is Joris Voren, and I am a um, musician, DJ, music producer from Amsterdam. You never introduce yourself as a superstar DJ. Uh, no, I'll, I'll leave that to you. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I actually listened to the last podcast, and that's what, that's what you said. Is that what said? I said? Yeah, I'm sorry, I have to. It's, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm an obnoxious person. What can I say? I, just so everybody knows, I am in an actual music studio right now, surrounded by crazy equipment and soundproofing, and there, like, there's a thousand dollar mic in front of my face. So if I sound particularly good, <laughs> you know why. You're gonna come back here every every week to record. <laughs> I, might, I might have to come back for ep- every episode. I, I don't know that a lot of the people who listen to Feel Free to Deviate are techno fans. I'm sure. And at I, least re- half of them, right? It, at least half. <laughs> well, I've been listening to a lot of your your talks and I've come to learn that you're you have quite a big music music background with lots of people from like back in the days that are music people. Indeed. But not so much on the techno side. No. <laughs> yeah, I mean where I grew up it was just like when you get into music in Winstead, Connecticut, there's the top forty radio station. And there's the classic rock radio station. Some people are top 40 kids and some people are classic <laughs> rock kids. I'm a classic rock kid. And that was aided by, I had my uncle used to make tapes for me. You know, he's an old hippie. He used to make me tapes and stuff. So I went past the 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 standards, the standard classic rock format relatively quickly. Like I got into the deep cuts and some classic and important albums. And then, of course, you get a little bit older and you get a little bit curious. And then, like, how, it was. It how was old, old were you then? 
Oh, I don't I don't even remember. I just remember when I first started high school is when like grunge and stuff started happening. So then at that point, if you're interested in music and you have friends who are interested in music, it becomes like an arms race to find a band that nobody else knows. Yeah, for sure. I remember that because before techno, I, I was also one of those one of those kids. Yeah. And I did have my classic rock um, time. I guess I was big into Pink Floyd. Yes, and me on, too. <laughs> and on the other hand, I was also really big into Queen for some reason. And then there was a time that I was like, how did I ever like this? And then there was a time where I was like, oh, this is actually pretty uh, genius music. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Even though, you know, it's it's they're weird al- albums because when you listen to one album, you get 12 different sounds on 12 different songs, which is kind of crazy. And Indeed. from an artistic perspective, doesn't make an awful lot of sense. But yeah, I, I, I think I also floated into the um, into the more alternative direction pretty quickly. It's just, you know, it's it's... Because it's basically the same thing, but it's different. And and yeah. it's just, you know, you, you hunger for more. Classic rock never changes. It's already done. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I was I, I remember listening to a lot of classic rock, I think around Easter. Back then they would do the, the top thousand or something of best nice. best records ever. And it was it was mostly classic rock at the time. Yeah. And we used to record me and my older brother. We used to record all the all our favorite songs like Led Zeppelin and yes. The Doors and yes. I, you know like <laughs> anything basically and Jimi Hendrix and I think that that was a very nice way into music. But then um, you know as soon as as I listened to other stuff that kind of took over. This is the Netherlands, so it's kind of the birthplace or the birthplace think, of contemporary techno. Maybe I don't know. Maybe you could fill fill in. in yeah, the I think. There. I think listening to the radio most most of the time, actually. And I think getting a bit more serious w- about music was through my older brother, who is like a year and a half older. And he um, he came back home with tapes that he got from his friends at school. So he was a little bit a, a bit older, so a bit more ahead of the game music-wise. Right, right. So I, I, he came back with things like the Pixies and stuff. And then nice. I, I learned about Nirvana a little bit later on the radio and stuff, mm-hmm. and maybe also through him, I guess. And then I went through that whole phase. I think my... my Epiphany album into let's say in indie music or alternative rock was Bossa Nova by the Pixies. It's a good record, and I was like, wow! I, I vividly remember listening to it on a very crappy boombox on yeah. a tape, very crappy tape, <laughs> probably copied from another tape that was copied from another tape, which is how so how things happened back then. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it was fine. <laughs> it was fine. It, I mean, it sounded like like the world to me, but for me, that that particular sound of that record, and it's still one of my favorites. Well, in, let's start off with. <laughs> It's very fast. It's a really, it's yeah, like, it's, really, and, but it's, it's any time. It's this really epic kind of surfy sound, you know, and these this big reverb on the guitars and this, these crazy melodies and there's no vocals also. It's just like, a, you know, it just goes on and on. It's, it, I think it's one of, the, one of the most interesting sounding albums. It's definitely, for me, the favorite Pixies album. I can't, I have a hard time with superlatives, but I, I like it. And I actually think that if you talk to fans, Bossa Nova and Trompe Le Monde are... They're not most people's favorites. They aren't. No, but it's the early I works. I really you know? like Trompe Le Monde. <laughs> yeah, I think so. It's a bit more arty in a way. It's it a is. Bit it's more, kind um, of like a Frank Black solo record. I, yeah, that as well. <laughs> Personally, for me, I think he made better solo records later on. Yeah. I think Teenager of the Year was like fantastic. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's one of my favorite records. Yeah. I bought Actually, during the pandemic, I bought it on vinyl. It cost me a fair bit of money, but I was like, I just need to have this on vinyl. Every time I listen to Surfer Rosa, I'm just like... I just can't imagine. Like, I didn't listen to it when it first came out. It, I, you know, I listened to it later, and I just can't even imagine what it would have been like to hear that 
oh yeah when it when it didn't exist yet like that yeah. I would, it would have, my mind would have exploded well that's that's literally <laughs> what it did to me i think i was listening to that record and i was in my 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 bedroom then i, I must have been like 15 or something and it just literally blew my mind yeah. it really did and i was like wow this sound it was so spacious and and I think it might have been my first time really, really being very aware of, of music. Of course, I listened to The Wall of Pink Floyd and stuff mm -hmm. and all their other works, you know, yeah. where sometimes it's a bit more obvious, you know, when they're trying to sound a certain way. But that record had so much more than the sum of its parts, at least for me personally. Maybe it's something I went through as a teenager. I don't know. I, well, I think that it, it speaks to people in yeah. that age bracket. Like it's designed, Maybe, yeah. it's designed to, I think. I mean, I don't think they were writing music for kids, but <laughs> no, no. But I think that I think that the the I mean, the stuff comes from like actual issues in Roger Waters' life or whatever. It's like loosely. Oh, you're talking about Pink Floyd now? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, yes. oh no, you're talking about Pink. Yeah, you're talking was, about the yeah. Pixies. No, I think I think that yeah, Pink Floyd kind of had their very dramatic phase. Uh, yeah, yeah. It was a bit, <laughs> bit, bit too much, I guess. When I listen back to it now, that now I think like, oh, that's a bit like over the top. It's totally over the top. But I really, I really like Pink Floyd because I, I grew up listening to classic rock, and as you can imagine, Dark Side and The Wall are huge parts of classic rock radio. But I, I, I remember I had a study hall in school, and this guy, who for some reason got deep into Pink Floyd, and he had all of the vinyl, like all of it. I did as well, I think, at some point. And he lent them all to me. <laughs> I don't know why. Like he just gave me a crate of records, like from the very beginning. It was so much. He 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 was like defending it because the early stuff is so different yeah. than the later stuff. He was just like, just give it a chance. You know, it sounds weird. It sounds different. It's old. It's a different thing. But you got to give it a chance. And now, like Piper at the Gates of Dawn is one of my favorite records of all time. But that's beautiful. And that's still quite listenable, though. It it is. It and is. But then the stuff that at like the immediate immediately post Sid Barrett stuff, which isn't as well received by a lot of Pink Floyd fans is some of my favorite. Because, which, which ones are those? Like uh, Umagama. Umagama is weird. My, my mom had that in her record collection. So it was already, I, I, I knew about it. Yeah. And I was like, what is this? It's yeah. like, <laughs> it's, I, it kind of reminded me of the music that my father was making in some way. I mean, he was a music composer. We're going to get back to that as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure we are. It wasn't like that, but it sounded very arty and it sounded weird. And I, I couldn't do anything with it when I was like, 11, 12. Yeah, maybe you need to be a little bit older. I was probably 14 or 15. I think the one with the cows on it. What's that again? Adam Hartmother. Adam Hartmother, yeah. One of my favorite records. Yeah, that's actually, that was a bit more accessible and that was, it had some very uh, stunning moments, yeah. It really does. But I think that even they are on record as saying that they hate it. <laughs> they still do. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I remember reading an interview somewhere where one of the guys, I don't remember if it was, maybe it was David Gilmore, maybe, I don't know, but they were completely dismissive of Adam Hartmother. And I was like, I really love that record. <laughs> but it's a, it's a weird 60s record, you know? It's, it's super weird. I mean, the whole backside of it is just a guy making eggs. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think one of my one of my favorites is probably Animals, which had some beautiful songs like and this very funky drums and guitars. I mean, these guys were on top of that game. They were so funky. It's unreal. Yeah. Like the way the drums are produced and the way it's recorded. Super dry drums, very like wide, warm bass and a lot of space in between everything. I mean, from an engineering point of view, it's soaring guitars. Unbelievable. Yeah. Ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> And then, but then also thematically, I think it's a nice record too. Um, it's very Orwellian or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So where do you make the switch from being rock guy to, to being techno guy? I think it was listening to, to a lot of radio 
we have terrible radio in the Netherlands. We were lucky to have some evening radio, but daytime there was nothing. Just top 40. And in the evening, there's, there was a VPRO. And they were broadcasting interesting music, alternative music, like anything, you know. Um, I think I've discovered things like PJ Harvey there and stuff, like in the early stages. They had a wide variety of music, so playing lots of electronic, early electronic dance music kind of stuff. Underworld, Chemical Brothers, I, I learned from the radio. Okay. I listened to Studio Brussels a lot, which is uh, an amazing uh, radio station from Belgium, obviously Brussels, um, and we live close to the border, so we could receive it on FM. And they, they had great music all day long, so that, that was kind of my way into learning a lot about, about things. And then I went record shopping in the city close to where we lived. Were all your friends into it too, or was it? No, not so much. I think I had one friend that was into electronic music. Most of my friends were into either like indie rock or maybe hardcore, but then with guitars. What's that called again? Like biohazard and stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, I just call it hardcore or yeah, I guess yeah. some people might call it metal, but. Yeah, but the thing is in, in, in electronic music, if you could talk about hardcore, it's more like Gabra stuff. When I was a, when I was a lad, we used to go to hardcore shows and it was hardcore punk rock basically so it was it basically sounded like metal but it was more punk rock it was less theatrical than yeah no for Judas sure yeah. Or yeah, yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. yeah but it was uh but it was v- very fast and very hard yeah sick drums like <laughs> syncopated i think that was ne- that kind of stuff was never my favorite I-, I liked some of it and i went to a lot of the concerts with my friends mm-hmm. but um I, I think I like the more melancholics. Yeah, well, I, I liked a, a, a broader range of stuff. And I used to go to those those types of shows, mostly with friends. Basically, I just wanted to consume anything. And, exactly, and, yeah. And yeah. it was it was the social the social aspect of it was, was also very appealing. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's an important part of youth. I think so, yeah. I, I, I do feel, though, that uh, getting into electronic music for me was a bit of a solo uh, journey. I felt I was really getting sucked into it and... I just wanted to learn everything about it. I was listening to as many different things as I could in the beginning. I don't know how familiar you are or the listeners are with the different genres, but in the beginning, I listened. I'm not familiar at all. <laughs> I listened to anything. I guess it started with things like the Chemical Brothers. Everyone knows those, of course. Like at the very early stages with their first album, which was mind-blowing. But then I went deep into more techno stuff. Uh, and then there was things like Underworld, which is still kind of accessible. But the techno stuff was just like a, a bass drum and a, and a hi-hat and some loopy sounds and stuff, mm-hmm. which just go on for six, seven minutes. Uh, and I bought these CDs and I was just sitting there. I was like, what's, what's, the, what's the point of this? And after a while, I was like, oh, yeah, I think I'm getting it now. I don't know. It's just like that, that's the great thing about being young and listening to music. You know, if you're open for things, you, you can really surprise yourself and you can really train yourself to to like something that at first sight might have been terrible and i mean that in a good way you know yeah, yeah, it's no, not it's yeah. not not like you're listening to barbie girl and after listening to it for a hundred times you're like yeah this is actually a pretty good song <laughs> <laughs> do, do you think that the, the time the era was, was played a role in it when i listen to music now i know i'm an old guy so it's not quite the same and i don't, i don't really know what kids do because my kids aren't old enough to get super into something yet but i used to just listen to things over and over again because i had to because you didn't have any spotify or something yeah obviously yeah that, I, I would mean, have a cd and i would listen to that cd I, or tape yeah or exactly record. one of the things i remember so well from that period listening to the was it dry from um pj pj is that is that, that's the one with her hair that's rid, is of, that rid me. of me yeah rid yeah. of me I went to the record store and this guy was like, oh, you should listen to this one. And, you know, if someone recommends you something, you're like, okay, sure, I guess I'll buy it. And I came home and was like, do I have to listen to this? You and didn't again, like it? 
No, I, and not not at very first sight. Wow. I was like, this is pretty dry music, and what's all this weird singing? And but so then weird. when you listen to it again, because you bought the CD, you invested. Literally invested <laughs> your money bucks or whatever. Uh, yeah, exactly. You invest your money and then you invest time, obviously, to get yeah. to know it, especially if it's more cutting edge. And, and it really grew on me. And then, you know, you really kind of like embrace this kind of music. And I think this, that's the same with electronic music. I just consumed everything I could get my hands on, whether it was techno or whether it was acid, which is a faster kind of techno with a certain kind of synthesizer, trance things like Psytrance, which is even like a faster, uh, very specific kind of, like was called Goa Trance at the time. Anything, I, I loved everything basically. Yeah. And I think I did have an ear for what is good and what's commercial and what is made to make money and what is made for the radio and what's actually underground music. I think I already could distinguish that quite well. Any Anything that was that I thought was good, I would just invest time in it. I, when I was growing up, I, I, I kind of fought electronic music and hip-hop i don't know i guess it was just a stupid thing where i was from if you were a rock guy you were a rock guy and that was like your identity and looking back it's stupid because you know we were there in this golden age of hip-hop there was lots of good stuff going around anyway i think at the same though like hip-hop is a is a funny one so i spoke about my older brother jesse he yeah. uh, he was really into hip-hop mm -hmm. he was even a wannabe uh, rapper i think he bought his microphone and was playing in some bands, also some like more hardcore stuff, but he was really deep into hip hop, public enemy and stuff. That was never really my, I would never put on a, a hip hop record to, to listen to right. I just couldn't really get into it. Later on, I, I guess I got more familiar with uh, the more instrumental side of hip hop, which I turned out to really love, like DJ Shadow and stuff. That was that was kind of the thing that's, that got me to consider it as well. But that, that's amazing music, you know? The, the, the thing is, with that kind of music, you also... It was not so much about the, the rap most it's of the time. It's not even... It's just like there was the, no rap. the beats, the, the, yeah, the, the construction beats, of it. The beats and, and the music, and it was really uh, a very cinematic uh, kind of music. But yeah, hip-hop is a difficult one to get into, even though at the time, everyone that listened to The Breeders was also listening to Cypress Hill, you know? And stuff. Exactly. <laughs> all, my <laughs> friends, all my friends listened to Cypress Hill, and I was like, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I didn't listen to it, but it, I... You know, when I was at the local, uh, like in like alternative nights in, uh -huh. in my city, you know, I was like, yeah, this this, this is pretty cool. But I didn't didn't actually listen. Yeah, no, I I didn't own any of it, and I mean, it was fine. I accepted it, but it was just like yeah, sometimes I may have even been dismissive of it. But now I listen to more hip hop now. But the hip hop that I gravitate to now is all these is a lot of these old school guys. Not necessarily their classic work, but stuff that they're doing now. Like I listen to like this who? thing called Zarface which I think is Inspect a Deck and LP from Company Flow. And I like uh, Run the Jewels. And they're not like super old school, but they're not young. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and and uh, it's, it seems like older dudes who are still doing their thing, they're like masters of it now. And the production is amazing and the way they put things together. And a lot of the stuff that I listen to, if I listen to younger guys, I just don't get it. Yeah, I still yeah, don't yeah. get it. Well, I went to um, to, to check out uh, Kenrick Lamar with with our ten year old son. Yeah. Oh, it, oh man, he must have, <laughs> he must have flipped <laughs> yeah. out at the Ziggo Dome in Amsterdam, which That's is awesome. like a, I don't know seventeen, eighteen thousand cap yeah. venue. I like I like he's he's pretty good. I, I, he's, it took me a little while. It took I mean, me a little while. But it took I, me a little while as well. I mean, I I bought the um, f for the family during pandemic. We bought lots of records. I took the kids record shopping all the time. Nice. And as the has a pimper butterfly record got lots of uh, amazing. Um, reviews back in the time yeah back, like in 2015 it's really good i was like okay i 
guess this is a classic mean uh, let's just buy it and we'll see if anyone likes it turn out like it it's been, it had been sitting for half a year in in the, between the records no one was listening to it and i put it on a couple of times but then at some point everyone loved it i yeah. think it is amazing music yeah. i think this is one example of someone who it ticks every single box that there is to be ticked. Right. He's yeah. He's got he's got the 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 stuff. Not not just the talent. Like yeah. Oh yeah. The, yeah. The other stuff yeah. as well, which is I think a real story. Not. I mean, I never was a lyrics guy, but I guess in in when you're listening to rap, you can't really deny the lyrics. No. 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 Even if you don't remember them, I think that you hear them at the time and you react to them yeah. in real time. <laughs> I I we could talk about music probably the whole night maybe yeah the whole night <laughs> i mean talking about talking about movies is great but at some point you're a little bit done but music is like a never-ending yeah well i think form of joy yeah i have a, I have a I'm, here we go again i'm going off on a sidetrack the uh, a friend of mine once said i think i i think i like music more than most people and i was just like dude what the hell does that even mean that could mean two things did, did he did he like music more than he likes people or does he think that he likes the way I interpret it, it? Interpreted it was that he liked music more than other people like music. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, which that's a bit of a snobbish thing. It's well, not only is he it should work at a record store, or maybe not actually. <laughs> no, definitely <laughs> Preferably not. Preferably not. Well, maybe actually, you know, maybe he would. He'd probably be pretty good at a record store. He's very enthusiastic, but um, I feel like. People react to music and feel music regardless of whether they get deep into the other side of it, either the production or collecting or whatever. It's like I, I don't I think that everybody likes music. I think so, yeah. At least some some kind of music. And I, I don't know that people like it more than others. It's just that some people just get more involved with different aspects of it. Like being a music fan and, and knowing about bands and knowing about records is not doesn't mean that you like music more. It doesn't mean that you respond to music more. Yeah, it's not about liking the actual music more. It's being more of a nerd about it. I exactly. <laughs> it's, it's a completely different thing. It's like, it's a different level of interest. It's a different type of interest. Well, that's the way I look at it. I, but I feel like everybody sort of has a baseline of interest, which is kind of like how culture began or something. I guess so. I do very occasionally meet, and not really in my, my work, of course, but I do meet people that don't seem to have a real interest in anything re related to music. But are they interested in other things? Well, usually not Sports. so much. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah, I guess. Okay, that's where I lack a little bit of interest. I think. Yeah, me too. I, I People find that hard to believe because when I was in high school, I played sports, but I've never actually been into sports. I like winning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a whole different ball game pun intended <laughs> and, and i enjoy team i enjoy being a team on a team yeah sure and you know whatever um i guess i'm I'll, i guess i'll i'll shift over to career stuff by saying that it's it's hard to think of you as not being a successful person because it seems to me that everything that you've wanted to do you've been able to do on some level you went to school with with my lady marlene yeah you were you're studying architectural design and you started working with like the best architecture firm in the world <laughs> or one of them arguably well, I, was, I, was, I was an intern so <laughs> all right whatever but you know you you start you get you get opportunities to go and do this stuff and you you work on architecture stuff for some years and then you decide oh no I want to go get back into DJing like cuz you were a casual DJ during school I guess I w I never left it and I, I always wanted to be more successful with it but you know it was not something I ever at least when I was young, really thought would be an option in my life. Yeah. 
I think that just came a bit later. Also, maybe after I got a bit disappointed with architecture, which is a personal thing. I still love architecture, but I very soon realized that architecture is not only a difficult thing, different career to pursue. It is very difficult to get to a level where you can actually be successful. I mean, you can be successful in many ways. And what what is being successful, being in old magazines or or doing something more local, they can both be great, of course. But I think being at that architecture firm, I just saw how hard it was to make it to that level. I was just an intern. I didn't actually, (laughs) I guess I worked there, but as an intern, you know, Um, so it's it's the best sneak peek you can get into into, uh, the world of a famous uh, agency like that. Even though I loved what I was doing because I was like the, the right hand of the interior designer, I saw lots of my colleague interns, they were working downstairs in the sweatshops making uh, lots of models, you know, and that didn't sound like as much fun. I think I was doing a lot of lot of cool stuff, but I could kind of see and taste the atmosphere in the office and see right. who was at what level and how they, I assumed kind of how I got there and I learned, you know, what their background was and stuff. And it wasn't easy. Right. And I still hadn't really started. I still had to kind of continue my degree of architecture because I just came from art school and I got demotivated right at that moment. After I finished my internship, I was like, I don't think I really want to continue. And then you just jumped right back into DJing. Um, well, I, after my studies in Enschede, which is where we met each yep. other as well, yep, yep. the Art Academy, I moved to Rotterdam where I studied in the evenings to get into the architecture school. So that was just an introduction, like a bridge year. I wasn't even studying yet. Right. But So at the daytime, I had lots of time. I was making lots of music, preparing my portfolio to get hired or at least being an intern at a great agency. But music was always something I did. Coming into Rotterdam, I didn't know anyone and getting DJ gigs was pretty much impossible because everyone and the grandma was already a DJ at the time and had their own parties and were definitely not letting like someone they'd never heard of run one of their nights. No way. So how, how did you get in? I think just making lots of music, sitting in my little student room and making a lot of music, like teaching myself how to make music, making lots of things. Spending days and nights making music nonstop. <laughs> and that, then, then from, from that, you know, being able to release some music and getting some traction that way. That was kind of how people got to know my name in the scene where they were like, oh, this guy's actually releasing music and it sounds pretty good. So maybe we'll give him a DJ gig or two. Aside from the internship, how, how are you supporting yourself during this time? There was a great way to get around as an artist. You would get a very minimum, ah, uh, yes, minimum <laughs> wage type income called the the vic, which meant you could kind of support yourself uh, in your basic needs. Do they not have that now? Is no, I think that that lasted for a couple of years. Yeah. And, you know, just like with any of these kind of things, right? It's something that the government tries, and they're like, yeah, okay, let's try something else now. Because it's a socialist paradise here. <laughs> Pretty much is. <laughs> I lived off hardly anything, like a couple of hundred euros a month. Yeah, I, 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 that was that was the only income I had. I think not much. <laughs> I knew a lot of people who got that, and a lot of people. I don't want to be judgmental, but a lot of people weren't making particularly good use of it. I don't know if I did. Um, I well, did. you well, you were developing. You were developing. I, I was developing myself, but yeah. maybe not in the way that that uh, the way that it was meant for. I mean, I was making music, and I I, I didn't get it on the basis of being a musician. Oh, I just got okay. it on the basis of yeah. not that it matters really. You Art know? Is, is up to your interpretation. Uh, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I guess it is. But um, yeah, I I didn't really focus on my my design and architecture. I just did music. Okay, which was something that also already at the 
Art Academy, my teachers were like, yeah, you're always, so it's okay what you're presenting here today. I think you, we think we think you can do much better, but uh, what's what's keeping you from doing better? And I was like, I'm just, you know, making music and stuff and trying to find excuses that sounded kind of <laughs> credible. I think they understood. They saw that I was DJing as well and all that. And, you know, the, all the teachers we had at the Academy were quite open-minded. Like, they were a bit loose and they were like, oh, yeah, sure, it's okay. It just surprises me. that. Well, I guess it doesn't surprise me. Maybe they were trying to push you, but obviously, you know, if you got this fancy internship at OMA, like, I don't imagine they give those to just everybody. <laughs> no, I think I, I, I think I was doing it quite okay, but they thought, you know, I, I could do much better. I had a lot more potential, which maybe I had. I Perhaps, know. yeah. I mean, but don't we all? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, sometimes I wonder what, what would have happened if, if I would still be sitting here and talking to you. <laughs> I'll, I'll talk to pretty much anybody, but... <laughs> I feel honored that I get to talk to someone who actually has a fan base. <laughs> By the way, download all my podcasts. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's I get yeah, I guess I just always sort of thought of you as some sort of a golden boy who okay. who, who, oh, wow. who who had these who had these uh opportunities and every endeavor that you engaged in took off. Well, there's, there's not there's so many endeavors. Right. But I guess it's that one of those endeavors was becoming a professional musician, which is so far out of reach for almost everybody. And so many people at some point in their lives say, I want to be a musician or I want, you know, to be famous for being in a band or I want to be, you know, a yeah. DJ. Now everybody wants to be a DJ. Yeah. And, y you know, you did it. I remember when we lived in Boston, I, I can't even remember, like, what stage of your career you were at but i remember you visited boston for a show and we were there and we met up in the park and you had to do a radio interview that day yeah like what, what is the how does it ramp up like how does what how does the trajectory go i think i think it went pretty pretty quick pretty quickly actually from the moment i was at that that agency the the, the architecture agency which was 2001 I think um, I left it. I went to work for a small firm pretty straight after because I met one of my former teachers and he said he invited me to come work for him. Okay. And I was like, yeah, I have nothing else to do besides <laughs> making music. But I said, I, I can only work four days because I need to make music on, on day five and the weekends, of course, and the nights. Yeah, so that was, I guess, 2002. And then I made all this music all this time. And then 2003, I released my first music. And 2004, I started touring pretty heavily, actually. I, I had my first... U.S. shows in 2004 and went to Asia, which was a pretty big deal, even though I'd never been before. Uh, but yeah, I guess I came to see you guys in 2004 then in Boston. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't probably. even for a show. I think I was just, I just came to visit because it was oh, okay. a two-hour train ride away. But that, it went really quickly, probably quicker than most people would be able to launch their careers at this point in time. What, just because the volume of DJs? There is a big volume of DJs. So I think if you're a social media star and you really uh, have like yeah. a, a presence that, you know, blows blows everyone's brains on uh, on Instagram, then uh -huh. you can you can get it done pretty quickly. But there was no social media back in the days. So that was a whole different thing. Also, not as many people were actually making music. And that was definitely for me the the, the way to get into it. Actual, actually writing. And actually writing and, and making my own records releasing EPs on a couple of different labels. And I made an album as well pretty fairly soon after my first few EPs. And I, and I had a hit. I guess I had a, had a hit as well, which was a, a track that I made 
and that just blew up internationally as a, like a techno anthem and was played by a lot of big DJs for like thousands of, of people and I think that put my name on the, that, on the map. So then you get to host your own night in Rotterdam. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> kind of, yeah. That was, that was a big achievement at that time. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> Most of my friends are happy when they get to play the big club in town. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so is it fatiguing? Like I imagine that in the beginning, it's just crazy exciting. It was it was super exciting. So many things happened. So many new people that you meet, and and traveling every single weekend. Yeah, I think back about that time sometimes, and I'm like, how did I experience that? But you know, when you're young and you're everything's done for the first time, you can't really un- anticipate it because you don't really know what's going to happen. Going to Asia for the first time, you know, I was I think it was my first time on a long haul flight, and I was like. Amazing! I get to watch all these movies, and, and I didn't Yay. sleep for twelve hours. And then I arrived there, and I was like, "Oh, give me a coffee." And then I—I I don't know. I didn't even know that I was tired, or I was so excited being there and in this new place, and new people, and new food, and everything. It's weird. It's like that's something I would never do now, obviously. But you just don't know. You—you you know, when you're ignorant, you—you you just don't know what what to expect. You mentioned before your father is a musician, and. You have four siblings? I have three siblings, Three yeah. siblings, so there are four of you. Do you have musical training? I do, I do have musical training. My parents, as they're both musicians, my father passed away last year, but he was a modern classical music composer, and he was a teacher at the conservatory. What's his name? Yope. Yope Plus my, my last name, Yope yeah. Born. We named Check our cat uh, after him, Yopey. Aww, <laughs> be fair to <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> But um, yeah, they, they, you know, for them, music was very important in their lives and they felt that should be the same for us, I guess. We, we had to all play musical instruments. We could choose whatever. And I chose the violin because my older brother kind of ran off when the violin teacher came over and then she was sitting there and there was a violin and I was sitting right. in the room somewhere. I was like, oh, okay, I'll give it a try. <laughs> Next thing you know, I was playing the violin for eight or 10 years. Do you still have one? I No, I don't. No. You don't lay any violin down on your tracks? I, I don't. I wouldn't. I mean, there's autotune and stuff, so I'm sure I can, <laughs> I can, can do something. You can fix it in post. I fix everything in post. <laughs> but no, I wouldn't. I mean, when we were emptying my parents' house... I picked up a violin because we found a couple and I'm, it's such a difficult instrument. And, if, yeah. you know, it's not like riding a bike. You really lose it. You know, if you misplace your finger by only like half a millimeter. Oh, I can imagine. You're can really imagine. out of tune. So I know how bad I am at playing guitar and there are frets there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. I think the same thing applies to guitar as well, but in a, in a different way. Yeah. Are your parents, were they, are they happy about your career? Are they interested? Do they... I, I think I think so. They were definitely, um, especially later on when they saw I was being successful with what I was ah. doing. <laughs> I think they they got into it. They weren't. I think my my parents were um, focused on a lot of things. They wanted us to do music, not necessarily electronic music, because uh, uh, my mom said like anything to do with electronic music was just like a machine heartbeat or something. You know, uh-huh. she didn't see it as a positive thing. Right. And and. We weren't really pl- allowed to play a lot of music in the house that was coming from a, a system, you know, like no boomboxes or records because she kind of believed, I guess, from an anthroposophical point of view that it's not real music and it's there's no real good vibes coming from it. So 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 did you like go to the library to listen to music or how how did you do it then? No, we 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 did have uh for some reason I think my mom inherited a cassette player that was portable, you know, we could play that in our rooms. I think we weren't even allowed to get our own um stereo. 
until we were 16 or something. Wow. So I was waiting for the day, you know, that I could have my own stereo in my room. Can you imagine our kids waiting for the day to have <laughs> a stereo? I think they're that? waiting for the day to get a phone. But <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. It's probably the same thing, you know? Yeah, all, half the kids in Ruby's class already have them. It's, uh, yeah. Yeah. But you played with your dad once, right? I did. In a way, we made uh, some music together, yeah. That was nice, actually, because making electronic music when you're not classically trained or don't really know how to play keys, which at the time was the case, you just don't really know what you're doing. I remember making the song that we were writing on and I wanted to have it kind of orchestrated, let's say, within my computer. And I let every single instrument kind of play the same chords. And my dad, when he looked at it, he was like, are you, are you sure this is done correctly? <laughs> because the, the violin was playing like a chord and, and the cello and the bass. I just sound, thought it sounded pretty good, you know, on my speakers and everything. But, but I guess I should have known this, of course, from an orchestra because I did play in orchestras, but I never really gave it a thought. Also because I don't use a lot of orchestra sounds necessarily in yeah. my computer, in, in my music, mm -hmm. but more synthesizer stuff. And then you just play a chord with that synthesizer. But anyways, it's the violins that play one note and then the cello. It's pretty obvious, you know, but I, it was never really something that I gave any thoughts. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's also, you also get more attuned to that as you learn more. Yeah, like, I guess so. Yeah. But that was a learning learning point for me where I was like, oh, I guess, yeah, I guess there's a right way to do things. But then, you know, if I would let my dad make electronic music, he probably wouldn't be able to really do it or know yeah. what, what to do because you kind of need to break all the boundaries of what you've learned at the uh -huh. conservatorium, conservatory. And yeah, maybe that's harder than learning to play piano. <laughs> yeah, maybe if I would have been a classically trained musician, I would have definitely not made the music that I that I made because it's a very DIY kind of thing. Yeah. At least it was back in the days, you know, like you need to know what gear you gear to buy and you just buy whatever you can afford. And that's not necessarily the best, best kind of stuff, but it's kind of like learning yourself how to, to make sounds and music. And it's, it's not a very uh, traditional way of creating music. You mentioned your mother's uh, philosophy on music and education. What What is your education like and how does that affect your approach to doing things? Well, first of all, I think because my parents didn't allow their children to have a stereo in their room before 16, I was super eager to get a stereo in my room. And once I got it, I went all for it. I was buying all my, my music and I, I felt I really had like really had to catch up lost time. <laughs> And, he, and the same kind of thing applied to when I started listening to electronic music. I, I was really obsessed with trying to get my hands on everything. And maybe the same applied again when I started making my own music. I, re, I was really diving into it. I, I really wanted to be able to do that. It wasn't because I had an education in something. I just did right. it by learning, teaching myself how to do it, like figuring out stuff. <laughs> I remember I, I bought this, uh, this uh, small groove box, it was called at the time, MC303. Roland, it's kind of a box that does everything. Drums and synthesizers, bass lines, strings, whatever. It sounded really crappy because of the technology at the time wasn't really... This is the 90s or... This is, yeah, this is 90s. It's like 96, I think. At the beginning, I didn't even know like how to sustain a note. So I just took like something heavy and I put it on the keys. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> and I was like, uh, and that was, I just wanted to sustain a note. And I, I didn't, just didn't know. Obviously, that was before I read any of the manual. Right. That's, that, I guess that's how impatient I was. <laughs> RTFM. <laughs> did you, when you were in school, did you just go to a normal high school? And like, was it just fine? 
I don't know if it was normal. I went to Steiner School. If, I, I, okay, I don't know if okay, you know okay. anything about that. It's a not necessarily a, a normal school. It's a bit left of center. But yeah. um, I think it, what the good thing about it was it was a pretty open school with open-minded uh, kids because they kind of came from, most of the time, open-minded parents. So it was kind of a lot of, yeah, like, like-minded like uh, souls. That was amazing. So there was not much fighting going on, not much bullying and stuff. People got, kids got along. Most of them listened to a lot of the same music, and it was a bit of an alternative kind of mm-hmm. vibe. And do you think that, that that like really shaped the way you approach things? Or it's possible. I don't know. I think a lot of kids that went to regular schools also listened to a lot of cool music. So yeah, yeah, right, right, right. right. <laughs> I don't know. And, and right, but a lot of like a lot of a lot of kids that go to regular schools, maybe I, I'm not saying that it has something to do with the school. I'm just wondering because we're looking at high schools right now, and uh, one of the one of, we're looking at a. a the Steiner High okay. School. Um, we haven't gone there yet, but we went to a couple others. But there are a lot of good high schools in Rotterdam. But uh, I, yeah, I'm just wondering if 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 these sorts of things really do shape you. And as one of the most successful people financially and and career, like uh, like you're doing something that you want to do. <laughs> I mean, for me, you kind of hit the jackpot with careers. You know, I think maybe maybe if it gave me anything, it's it's a slight form of uh, imposter syndrome, <laughs> you know. Especially, and also I think my my parents' uh, ideas about uh, about music, yeah. Also, sometimes you know, it's it's like this little devil on my shoulder saying like, <laughs> you shouldn't be playing electronic music. It's music of the devil. It's not real music. But the devil has really good taste. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the whole thing, right? <laughs> that's why I listen to all this cool music that my, my parents really hated. But it's all, I, I also don't get that impression. I, I get the I, I generally get the impression. Maybe it's because you're a middle-aged Dutch guy and we're maybe just a middle-aged guy. You, 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 you. I know nobody ever really called me middle-aged, but I guess Sorry. it's quite, sounds I'll, a bit I'll, confronting. I'll out. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you speak with a, with, a, with a confidence. Like, you, you, you don't sound like you have imposter syndrome you know <laughs> no but you know <laughs> no I'm, I'm i'm partly joking but i'm partly also a little bit serious about it maybe also because i i didn't like this music from, from the early days i actually quite the opposite you know going back to school there were kids in my class that were listening to house music at the time which uh-huh. was mostly just top 40 stuff like two unlimited kind of things i'm sure you're it's not my jam but yeah. no it, it wasn't my jam <laughs> at all i was like this is this is terrible you know so i guess i would have agreed with my parents at that time but that that definitely radically changed i guess i guess i'm comfortable with with what i'm doing uh most of the time do you get excited about new releases and stuff like i mean it looks like you're having a good time online but i suppose it has to right (laughs) (laughs) i mean uh, i guess online is online you know yeah that's that's what it is i have a great time playing my music for the first time on a show for instance yeah or like anytime you know the second times is also great (laughs) Third times and even the, the hundredth time. <laughs> At time, sometimes I'm, I'm a bit like, ah, do I have to play this again? But the, the people want to hear it. So, but there's a, there's a lot of great things about being a musician, being able to perform your music, even though it's you know it's playing playing it once it's finished. I'm not actually playing an instrument. Yeah. When I'm on stage, but that's that's pretty amazing and very satisfying, and that's that's something I'm really enjoying. What you're saying is like it's. It sounds like it's a job. You know, like you have to play the hits or it is. Thing, yeah, you know, yeah. You have to play I mean, the song. I guess that that part of it is, uh, but I'm also grateful for that, you know. Of course, uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm grateful to have records that people want to hear, and yeah. that's that that's quite amazing. I, I, you know, sometimes in the end of let's say uh, a three-hour show, I play mostly my own music, and people are going nuts, and it's that that's a, that's a nice idea to have that, you know, and it gives gives some confidence that things 
might be all right in the end. When you speak about the end, it makes me think about this is uh, I was initially going to say this is a young man's game, but it seems like all the top guys are not that young. But still, regardless, it's not something that you can really do forever, the, all the traveling and, and spitting out hits. Nobody spits out hits forever. What do you want to do after? Like, have you ever have you ever thought about producing hip hop or or? Well, I think hip hop is an even younger game, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> especially if you're not. You can a make beats though. If you're like, not a veteran, no. But same story. Like even that is a. I mean, hip hop. You know, you need to, you need to kind of start with TikTok videos and people uh, picking you up on that. Funnily enough, techno is quite a mature kind of sound. Yeah. Especially more underground techno. I think nowadays I'm not as underground as I started off as. Uh, I think I think a lot of a lot of my my audience are you know not they're not necessarily nineteen twenty year olds. I think a lot of them are maybe close to thirty, and especially sometimes, especially here in Amsterdam when it's a, a bigger show like like Awakenings or something, people yeah. might be fifty or something. That happens as well. It's kind of a, like a timeless music, and the great thing about it is you can just enjoy it on your own or with your friends, you know. And it's it's kind of like a an anonymous kind of music. It's Really about the groove, driving and the, beats. Yeah, and the driving beats, and it's not necessarily about the hits. It's really about the vibe. It's not like going to a concert necessarily, where you want the the, the band to play all the hits. Of course, that's that can be a part of it, but there's plenty of DJs that just play monotonous grooves, yeah. and I occasionally do that as well. It also makes makes that it's quite accessible for for anyone, and you can just be yourself. You know, yeah. you're on the dance floor. It's not like you're in a mosh pit or something. You know, where no, no, you no, feel no. like you're yeah, it's not you, songs where you're getting too old for this shit. You know, yeah. stuff like that. The past couple of days, I, I was listening to some of your music. I don't normally listen to it or techno in general. What do you think? <laughs> I, well, some some of it, some of it, I really like. But I feel like the ones that the ones that I respond to most are the most song like ones. Not 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 the ones with vocals. I really like the Ringo track. I like the Momo track. I listen to four. There's a track. There's a track or two on four that I respond to. Like you're saying. Some of them, like they could be anybody who makes techno. As far as I, True, as far yeah. as I can tell, I just yeah. I can't tell. And and I think that maybe the Ringo, I like the Ringo track because I also really like the video clip. <laughs> 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 but um, I can't remember what the Rio track sounds like. Don't tell Rio. That's also a very nice video clip. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Is it, okay. I, I have. I don't think I've seen that one. Yeah, it's actually oh, I, super I nice. I, I remember. I'm picturing the outfit in my head, but I can't remember the video. But yeah, I, I looked at the new thing, but it's like other people m- mixing your stuff into yeah it's sets. kind of the other I, way around um i i you know that the, there's a thing called remixing in electronic music yeah. which is a, a big thing it's just kind of giving a new twist to to an existing song yeah which is amazing and i've made made quite a few of those lately and um i just released a a remix of my own track which is a uh, kind of more just like a different version and it's a track with with underworld which i did and they did the vocals but yeah that's that's i guess also more techno yeah Listening to that kind of stuff is all is all kind of new to me. You know how when you're streaming music and you choose an album to listen to and then the album ends and then it starts randomly yeah. playing things that you're going to like depending on <laughs> yeah. this. Sometimes the algorithm really nails it. But if I listen to something that I don't normally listen to, like a techno record, the stuff that it starts playing afterwards, I typically hate. Like I, I'm yeah. just like, no, the <laughs> algorithm does not understand what I like about this type of music. It really doesn't get me at all. It does a pretty good job with stuff yeah. that I actually listen to most of the time. I, I guess it's also because you don't really listen to techno. 
No, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not inputting enough into the algorithm to, to, to get it to spit out quality results. And I'm not sure that I, I'm prepared to dig deep enough to, to make that happen. Well, I, th- I think te- I was really caught by techno in the, in, the, in the beginning. For me, techno wasn't a party music. I was fascinated by the, the repetition and the concept. I thought the concept was really interesting and listening kind of to the same loop for five minutes. And then after five minutes, something starts to change. And you're like, oh, wow, okay, I guess this is what techno is. You know, it's just the same thing. And I didn't see it in the context of a dance floor because where I grew up, there was not really any clubs playing this kind of music, or at least I didn't have any friends listening to it or going to these parties. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So I, did, I didn't really have that context. And nowadays that's very, very different. I think the music is a lot more accessible, being heard everywhere. There's so many really nights, is. festivals and whatever. But I was young as well, you know. I think my brain wasn't really pre-programmed to like one thing necessarily more than than the other. In the same way as listening to it as a as a forty-five year old. I think regardless of whether you're forty-five or eighteen, there is something to the the repetition, and there's like you know the frequency that the brain works on or whatever. Like, this <laughs> yeah, is, maybe this is, this is why like shaman played drums. You know, like it's <laughs> it's like, like there's a there's something. That's why people listen to frequencies in, 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 in beats when they meditate or whatever. Like there's there's something to it. I guess so, yeah. I, I guess I, I, I know, I've never really done any research, but no, you, 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 you often, often often hear about those things, you know, and people getting into trance. Into the zone, man. Yeah. <laughs> what, what I liked about it so much at the time was that it was so completely and utterly different than anything I'd listened to. I mean, I listened to Nine Inch Nails and stuff. I found that fascinating as well. And that was pretty hard and monotonous sometimes, but it wasn't yeah. techno. Yeah. But when I listened to techno, that it was so different. It was literally just a bass drum just kept going and then a hi-hat and then... I don't know. I've, how many times did I say fascinating already? <laughs> Have you had major stumbling blocks along the way? Do you feel like there was a moment where it almost didn't work out or it almost couldn't work out or something that you couldn't get over? You know, it's kind of a challenge to stay relevant because the music is an ever-changing landscape, probably now more than ever. But it has been, you know, since the day I started, the the, the way the music has changed in, in a general sense. Has, it's been going all across, going from hard to soft to melodic to groovy. Yeah, yeah. And for an average listener to this podcast, these terms don't maybe don't mean anything, Some you know, but there yeah. there is a there is a fashion in music where things are a certain way. And I always try to kind of pick my favorites from whatever the current trend is and, and weave that into my music performances and stuff but there's definitely a a time you know there was a very hard reset let's say just when I started and maybe this might have been my my saving as well so I started off with with a bit stronger techno and then just when I got into that then the whole thing collapsed like it was oversaturated everything was too hard and too fast and then there was kind of like a a so-called minimal wave that came up and that was guided by a couple of guys from Richie Horton from Detroit who has been doing that kind of music I've for heard that name I'm sure you have <laughs> he was doing that kind of music for a long time and I was still very open to do so many different things and I hadn't made a name for myself in any particular kind of music so big that I couldn't drastically change as well so yeah. I was very open to just going whatever way the music was going at the time and since then I've been kind of doing the same thing just following what's happening trying to look ahead a bit and ahead of the curve and see where things are going and sometimes catching up a little late which is fine too <laughs> but you know you have to you have to change it's not like the same as with a band you know let's say you're the pixies which we discussed earlier on everyone always kind of wants to hear the pixies like they were in the early 90s 
you know? Pretty much. Or late 80s. Uh, I think the only bands that really uh, got away with being different every single album was Radiohead. Yeah, for sure. I don't know a lot of other bands that gained success having that kind of approach to, the, to their music. I, I went to see Radiohead when they were touring on the Moon-Shaped Pool tour. Since OK Computer, all their records have been completely different. They're all hit records because they sell a ton of records, but there aren't hits. There are no radio hits. Yeah. OK Computer was sort of the last record they had with a radio hit on it. And everyone, like the place was sold out. It was the Heineken Music Hall, I think. It was, there were a bazillion people in there and people were all into it. But then they play stuff off of OK Computer or the Benz, and the crowd goes nuts. The crowd, it's insane. It's it's insane. It's it's amazing that they've been able to do that. Yeah. Because obviously they have the ability to write hit songs, but like no, none of their contemporary stuff would ever be considered hit songs. There's no chorus. There's no. No, like, exactly. Yeah. I think also maybe may. I was never the biggest Radiohead fan. I think I've gotten more into it the last couple of years. I listened to it. Yeah, they 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 haven't had those 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 big records. And I think even the last couple of years, it's been. If, what was the the record you just mentioned? Uh, Moon shaped. Yeah, Moon shaped pool. I think that was already quite. I don't know if that had such a big following as uh, some of the early 2000s work. I don't think it was actually a proper record. I think it was like outtakes from previous sessions or something. To be honest, I think these kind of records, even the Rainbows one. um, Oh, I really like that one. It was beautiful, but, you know, it's a bit underwhelming. I found it a bit underwhelming at the time. And and even though there's some really amazing tunes on there, it's... But that's still, you know, it's Radiohead. I mean, they don't have to prove anything anymore. (laughs) They really don't. (laughs) They really don't. (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, I think I think for me, to be fairly honest, I haven't really had any doubts along the way. I, I guess I kind of always had something like, it's it's better than I could have ever imagined. And I still think that, you know? Yeah. If it all goes to, to the moon now, like whatever, I've had a good run. <laughs> for sure. For sure. I'm incredibly impressed. It's amazing to see what you've been able to do. I mentioned before that you present things with this confidence some people have that. It's not that I'm not confident. It's just that I feel like maybe I present my doubts about things more readily than <laughs> than some people do. And and you're just one of those guys who is just like, oh no, this is the, this this is how it's done, and this <laughs> this is, is going to be good. And I don't then, know. Is it? Then, I don't know. I mean, well, it's it's worked out. It's worked out for you. It's worked out. But sometimes I also think about you know. I just try stuff and then sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And I've been incredibly lucky with the way things have gone. Um, Yes, there's an element of luck, of course. I think that there is a big element of luck. I think, you know, I I mentioned like a hit that I made that kind of launched my career. That hit was literally made with a sample of a record that I actually bought in Enschede at that shop that we discussed earlier. Yeah. It was a piano riff and it was, I loved it. Mm Mm-hmm. And there was another sample of like a famous band, which I can't name because I'm going to sue my ass. Don't worry, I won't mention it. <laughs> anyway, th- those were two samples that were living somewhere on my on my computer for a couple of years. And I had sampled them. Going through stuff, I just put these things together and I was like, wow, this sounds absolutely, stunningly amazing yeah. together. And that became my first Everybody uh, else thought hit. so too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, I you know, I... I sampled both things, but that's kind of quite normal in electronic music. We cleared the big piano riff because we couldn't really get around it. Yeah, the yeah. other thing was more just like a little loopy thing that kind of put the riff in context. 
That, is that luck, I guess? I don't know. It's trial, well, trial think, and error. I think it's lucky. I think that anyone who's successful, there's a, a stew of, of ingredients that make success. And talent is a big part of it, of course. Willingness to work is a big part of it. Yeah. Hard work is a yeah. huge part of it. it maybe, maybe even most of it. But I think that luck and timing and a certain willingness to put yourself out there in certain ways, like all these things have to come together. I, I know musicians who are amazing and they will never not play in a bar to 12 people. Yeah, you, you, have, to, you, you have to go there. You know, you know in the beginning. I mean, <laughs> they might be the best. Yeah, but yeah. But nobody yeah, will yeah. ever know. Well, if they're the best as a, as a band, if they're the best as a solo artist, then that can work. I think if you're, if you're an instrument player and you are supposed to, you can't really have your show as a, a solo artist. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Maybe but... I'm the best oboe player. <laughs> <laughs> well, even a bass player, you can be an amazing bass player. Yeah. But if you don't have a good band, then it's not going to happen. But if you're an amazing singer-songwriter with a guitar and, and a great voice, if you're really good, and obviously your songs have to be good. It does help. I think it's, it's a lot of trial and error. You know, as a DJ, it's really nice that you can um, just play your music and... If it doesn't work out, you just mix it out again, you know? And no one's going to know. <laughs> no one's going to know. No one's going to know that was your record They'll that is not know. just been clearing the floor. <laughs> that's, that's a great thing about electronic music and performing that as, as a DJ. You can just really try anything. I remember I, I once made a record in 2006. I made it in 10 minutes with a new synthesizer I, I had. I recorded this thing in 10 minutes, stereo records, no multi-track or whatever. I couldn't really do much to it. I just added it a little bit shorter. And that became my biggest underground techno, like proper techno record, MPX 309 at the time. And I remember playing it that same week in a club in Brussels. I played it three times. I think two times in my, in my own set. And uh-huh. then one time in the in the set of the DJ after me, I said like, Dude, can, just throw it in there. I made a new record. Can I can I play it? It worked really well two times earlier on. At least the guy after me was I I knew him. So he, he I don't think he minded, but that was a bit a bit obnoxious, I guess. <laughs> so yeah, career wise it goes well, but you've had tragedy in your life as well. I think so, yeah, for sure. I mean I've I've had to deal with uh some some hard stuff in my life and you go through it and anyway and you have to deal with it like any human being would ever do. I think yeah. the difficulty for me is having to go back on stage and, you know, kind of perform like nothing happened or something. Right. That's, the show must go on. Yeah. My father passed away uh, last year, as I, as I mentioned. And I did. I think I had one of the very few shows on on the night, you know, where I was going to see him in the hospital. Uh-huh. And I obviously had to cancel, which is weird because, you know, I was so excited about this show that I was looking forward to because it was the first one in a long time after the pandemic or in the middle of the pandemic. Yeah. That kind of stuff happens, and then then you just have to deal with it. It is um, not always easy being on stage, you know, at a party. You know, it's called a party. It's not <laughs> a concert. It's an actual party. People are supposed to have right, fun. Right, right, right. And then to 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 be there and to try to accommodate people in their in their search for um, for a great a great time. Yeah, that that can be a challenge. You just talked about it being a party, and before you mentioned something about your own journey into techno being a, a kind of a solitary thing. I don't know how this is going to segue. <laughs> <laughs> I like where this is going. While I was looking through some stuff, I, I saw someone describe, I think it was maybe your most recent, not your most recent record, the four, which is mm-hmm. my yeah album, the most recent yeah. album yeah, as being classic 
Joris Vorn peak set music. Okay. <laughs> Does that mean something to you? Because it get, means something to me, but I, I'm not sure that it means what it actually means. Well, peak set would be playing at a peak time where, you know, it's the height of the party. I mean, some, some, some tracks on that record definitely are some of the bigger moments in my sets. But, you know, like all of my albums, they, are, they have high highs and low lows. So. Yeah. There's a lot of like deeper ambient stuff. I find it difficult making a very cohesively monotonous sounding yeah. uh, 70 min minute album. Uh, it's always going like, oh, like all kinds of places. Yeah, I guess that, that could be some of that. <laughs> How do you balance family stuff with all this traveling and hit making? <laughs> <laughs> I think the hit making is necessarily an not necessarily an issue because the, the kids are as cool when I'm making my hits. Oh, nice. <laughs> That's very convenient. <laughs> Although, having said that, I make lots of music on the plane and some of my, my hits have been made on, on a plane when I'm traveling back home or to another gig. And um, But yeah, the traveling is a, a challenge. I uh, have two kids and, uh, and my wife is not always happy that I'm, and my kids also not, that I'm gone. <laughs> they don't want you gone all the time? <laughs> no, but you know, I, I met her before. I met her after I was already doing this. She knew what she was getting work. into. Yeah. You that's hear that? kind of <laughs> what it is. <laughs> Did Marlene know that about you as well? <laughs> uh, yeah. She didn't know I was going to be a middle-aged unemployed guy, but podcasting, but she, she did, uh, she knew what she was getting into. She, sometimes I think she has a little buyer's remorse, but, um, <laughs> but ultimately we, we, we make it happen. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I guess that's what we all do. Um, and even though I am missed at home, it is. It's kind of my job to to travel. That just comes with the with the territory. But um, I try to be there more during the week. Uh -huh. I mean, I spend a lot of time in this studio. But nowadays, especially after the pandemic, you know, my di my day finishes at, at three. I look at three o'clock. I have to pick up my kids. I'm, I'm looking at the clock. Two fifty nine. Yeah, let's turn off the yeah, computer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you, Rush. You're like the last dad at the school. <laughs> well, the kids, like both kids are actually always the last ones to come out. But Okay, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's when my workday finishes. Yeah, I hear you. Now, that's, that's, I think it's good. I mean, you, you just to put things into perspective, when I came here, we were supposed to meet at 6.30. I got here a little early. And when you came home, everyone was in good spirits and hanging out. <laughs> you were out doing sports stuff with the kids. Looking back at my upbringing at my childhood i didn't go to sports with my with my dad i wish I, my dad would take me bmxing no exactly. way <laughs> i didn't do i didn't do crap with them like they're just working all the time coming home we have dinner and that was like it was exactly i did so, i did lots of skateboarding i don't have a single photo of me skateboarding and we have lots of family photos but yeah. no skateboarding there was not any interest anyway yeah i think it's important to 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 sponsor and support your kids in doing the things they like to do as well and i love love doing that yeah, but with you them. were present though that's 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 the yeah. point like you were actually there and, and engaging with the thing and like my parents never left the country ever and they never hung Hung out with me after school. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but that's the thing nowadays. I, guess. <laughs> I think now you have to. <laughs> times have changed. They really have. I think there's been a, a few reissues in the in the in the parenthood book. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I'm not sure that um, my parents would have read that book anyway. Yeah, but that's another podcast. I don't think. I think it wasn't out at that time. No. And then, <laughs> I was written after. It was just a dumb idea. <laughs> that was stupid. <laughs> 
but you also like in addition to being doing the stuff you you maintain uh you maintain we're almost done <laughs> no it's good so. <laughs> I, I have all the time of the world <laughs> my kids are in bed anyway that's so. true the you you also you do other stuff too i try to yeah i you know i've always been interested i guess in doing doing things I mentioned skateboarding. That's something I did as a kid. And by the way, for me, it's terrifying to see guys. I know I have a couple of skateboarding friends and one Flatland BMX friend, and I, I get terrified when I see people doing these things. Yeah, but it's fun as well. I mean, I just picked up BMXing. It's pretty easy because if you can ride a bicycle, you can do BMXing. Although going over the hills, you know, making the jumps, is it's, it's, it's a bit of a different story. And I fell down a couple of times, but you get up again. Skateboarding, I picked up again after not having done it for... A good 20 plus years. Mm-hmm. I picked it up. Friend of DJ friend of mine, who was also a skateboarder back in the days, gave me a skateboard for my birthday. And he was like, stay young. That He had written that on oh, it. Yeah. And I did, you know. I moved to a new place which had a, a bowl, a skate pool, kind of in a close vicinity. So I took it there once just for fun. And then the next time, next day I was... I was there every single day until I could do my rock to fakies and disasters <laughs> nice, <laughs> and all those fun tricks again. Sometimes the, the, the simplest, most cliche advice is the best. <laughs> Stay yeah, young. <laughs> it is. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, I, I, I like doing, doing these, these crazy things. I picked up snowboarding as well, just like three years ago. Also terrifying. And I've had my share of pain. But <laughs> Of course. I remember the first time I snowboarded, it was brutal. And you still was, snowboards? And I was in my 20s. No, I haven't gone since, I guess, the late 90s. Fun, though. The boards have changed quite a bit. People tell me. They're much better. You One of these days again. I'll go. I'm sure that sometime when the kids are in in high school, we'll probably go to do winter sport or something. Or maybe we'll go. There's a place, you know. Yeah. The also place. here. Like, yeah. like it's kind of in between Rotterdam and Amsterdam. Yeah. There's a place yeah. with a 350 I think Marlene went there once. meter slope. So it's I've spent a lot of time there. Oh, uh, yeah? Yeah, I... I actually started snowboarding on a festival called Tomorrowland in the mountains. I was booked and they gave me a snowboard. I was like, sure, yeah, I'll try. (laughs) And the next thing I know, I was just, you know, when I came back, even in the middle of summer and 30 degrees uh, Celsius, I would just go to the snow dome. It's kind of crazy, but uh, I think that's one of the things. Maybe that seems to be a recurring theme with whatever I do. I get so focused and obsessed with something that I just need to be able to to know it or be yeah. able to do it to a certain degree where I'm comfortable with either the music I'm listening to or the extreme sports that I'm doing. It's a good quality to have. I, I guess. I think I did the same with photography and video. And yeah. I don't know. I just get obsessed with things. <laughs> I suppose it's, obsession could be un, unhealthy, but I don't know. It seems to be okay. It, seems it's, it's, it certainly feels like it. Maybe your big skill is finding balance or something. I, gotta, <laughs> I'm not, I, I, I will know. ask my wife that. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. I, mean, I don't know. Balance, yeah. You got the thriving career. You've got the relationship with the kids. You've got multiple leisure time or serious hobbies. Mm-hmm. I mean... No, it's that's it's, something. It's no, it's not bad. No, I, I, I'm happy also, you know, to be able to take off time on a Monday morning or Tuesday or whenever time of the week to go into my n- new obsession, which can either be snowboarding or skateboarding or photography. Or, you know, trying different lenses. You know, and and learning everything about that particular topic. I don't know what the next thing is going to be. I, 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 nothing is on the horizon. I think you got enough going on. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, maybe not. I don't know. Who's who's to say what's enough? Is there anything you'd like to elaborate more on? 
Did I miss anything? I think you've done a done a great job curating this this and steering this this conversation into we, all different kinds we, of uh, direction. We may have talked about classic rock a little too long, <laughs> but uh, there's always editing. There is, but um, I, th- I think you did great. I, I do. Lots <laughs> I think you did great. <laughs> I think you do lots of interviews. I'm, I think um, I'm getting better at it, and I also do lots of interviews. And sometimes it's pretty terrible. I have the same experience. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that it's terrible. It's just sometimes the, it doesn't flow or there's no vibe or something or it's less vibe. And for me, maybe it's a little bit easier because most of the people I'm talking to, I'm at least acquainted with already. Yeah. Like we're most of the people are my friends. <laughs> which is which is nice because I think I've gotten to know you um, a whole lot better. I yeah. wouldn't say a little bit better, but <laughs> I think I actually know something about you now. <laughs> yeah, a lot. <laughs> because when Too I, much. <laughs> when I met you at the, at the Aki, the Art Academy, yeah, you were there, but I, I didn't. I didn't really know much about you. I didn't get to know anything about you. No, well, and the next thing I know, you're hanging out with one of my best friends from your friends. <laughs> and I'm like, huh? How Malaya? did that happen? Well, How why, did that happen? Why'd you marry that guy? <laughs> he was just there. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I hear you. I, we, yeah, I mean, we didn't really hang out at the Aki. I knew who you were. Yeah, I think we, I think we all knew who we were, but uh, I think we were in slightly different parts of the. Yeah, well, I was in scene. I, I was in photography, and that's a totally different crew than the architecture. Thanks for being on the show. It's been a lot of fun. Um, yeah, I think I know lots of your friends as well, and I'm happy to be one of your friends. I'm I'm happy to have you as one of my friends and guest on the show. All right, um, goodbye. Farewell. That was Joris. Super fun episode. I love talking about music with people, and I feel like we had a good flow. We have far more musical influences in common than I expected, especially given the type of music he makes. While we were talking, I suggested that finding balance was his big skill. But maybe I shouldn't call it finding balance. It's more discipline and following a schedule. He mentioned taking time on Monday or Tuesday to work on skateboarding or photography or whatever was occupying his mind at that point. At the time we were talking, I didn't think about it, but while I was editing, I thought, that's a specific time. It seems overly simple, but maybe what I refer to as balance is just discipline and scheduling. Just like when he mentioned starting an architecture job and he made it 100% clear that music happened on Fridays, weekends, and after hours. Evidently, he understood boundaries at an early age. Some of us are still struggling with that. I can definitively say that I often feel like my free time gets sucked up by a black hole, And I know I'm not alone in that. Time management and boundaries would most likely help a number of you. I know that both of those things would make my life better. Another thing he mentioned was maintaining relevance and looking ahead and trying to predict upcoming trends. I have come to the conclusion that I have no idea what people will like. And whenever I try to make predictions about those sorts of things, I rarely get them right. I'm not sure that is a learned skill or a gift, but it seems to be a part of the stew that makes up yours's particular version of success, along with some of the other things we talked about. Thanks for being on the show, Yoris. I had a great time, and hopefully we'll hang out again soon. If you'd like to know more about Yoris, it's pretty easy to find him on the internet. You can go to yoriswarren.com. That's J-O-R-I-S-V-O-O-R-N.com. You can also search for him in pretty much any music streaming app. I'll add a few more Yoris tracks and some of the other items we talked about to the Feel Free to Listen playlist on Spotify as well. Thanks for listening. If you have the time and inclination, check me out on social media. I'm at Feel Free to Deviate on Instagram and YouTube and other social media platforms. Like, follow, interact, tell your friends. 
You can also go to feelfreetodeviate.com if you like websites. If you'd like to contribute financially, check out buymeacoffee.com slash feelfree. That's just feel free, no deviations. It's a quick, easy, and painless way to help offset the cost of running the show while simultaneously keeping me caffeinated, which costs more than you might think. Coming up in two weeks is TBD. Maybe Yvonne? Maybe someone else? We'll see. Thanks again for listening, and I'll be back in a few weeks. Bye. Bye.